And welcome to Rock Bible Church, Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community, compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves the greater community. And, I forgot this, first hour, and we have lasers. <laughs> I was very excited about those. It's like, we've got actual lasers. Anyways. All right, let's, let's, how about we move on to Daniel chapter 9? How about we do that? Uh, before we do, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Lord, bless our time. We thank you for all the things that we've been able to uh, experience so far this summer and how you have blessed us as a church. Um, and just pray that you would be with us now. Uh, take care of us. As we look through your word uh, we at times have questions and frustrations and are looking for answers and yet feels like you're on delay. Uh, and you never are, but we need help. And we want to understand you and understand ourselves better. And so uh, pray, Lord, you be with us in this time as we look at Daniel, his life, and how he dealt with one of those situations. And so pray, Lord, that this time would honor you through the power of your spirit uh, and in the name of your son. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, all right, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, first thought on Daniel when you talk to somebody. Most people, if I said Daniel and the... Then, then you'd sound like first service, or you'd sound like second service if I said Daniel and the... Very nice. Okay, so uh, we talk about Daniel... And people go, oh yeah, Daniel in the lion's den, and I think there was a Nebuchadnezzar in there. You might be able to mention a king, or you probably say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and forget that their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But that's okay. But kind of then, your knowledge of Daniel ends. Uh, generally, what most people know about Daniel are, are about the first, covered in about the first six chapters. Uh, there's a whole second half to the book. We started that a couple weeks ago. Uh, where Daniel starts relaying some of his own personal experiences, all of a sudden there's not really kings involved. They might be mentioned, but there's no dialogue with them anymore. In fact, kings aren't having visions that are being translated by the boys uh, anymore. Now uh, Daniel's the one having visions, and, and God's translating for him. Or uh, in chapter 9, we almost get just like to read from his diary there's there's not really a vision per se as he's just got questions he breaks out into prayer and the whole thing and and there's no other characters uh human ones uh, gabriel the angels can show up and explain something to him uh but it, it gets a little bit confusing and i think that's why people get through the first few stories of daniel that they understand and can kind of you know paint a mural of on the kids wall uh, and they get to seven or eight, or especially nine, they get confused, they put it down, they move on to a different book. And, and I hope that when we're, uh, when we're finished with this, and even today when we're walking out, you'll, you'll have maybe a little more appetite, a little more interest in finding out, hey, what are some of these little intricacies? And, and, and they're kind of fun when we spend a little time looking at them, right? Uh, Daniel, <clears throat> last chapter, he kind of had this vision that was interpreted for him that the Babylonian king was going to get overthrown, that there was going to be a progression of kings that followed. Uh, we're going to end up with the Greeks, but there was going to be some Persians uh, in there. And, and the first overthrow was going to be the Medes. The Medes are going to come in uh, and they're going to take 
over conquer the Babylonians who are in power. This is the prediction or the prophecy, if you will. And we get to chapter 9 and we have, we have Daniel writing, but he's giving you the time frame of when he's writing. And, and in giving us the time frame, he's going to show the fulfillment of God's prophecy in the dream that he had the previous chapter. It's, it's really, it's kind of fun, but the passage skips over it uh, quickly. And I want to comment on it as we get through because I, I think it lends some weight to what we're going to hear. So we're Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descent, by descent, a... All right, so we've got our Mede king. So the prophecy came true, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. I want you to kind of think what's going through Daniel's mind. But see, Daniel's, uh, Daniel's been the faithful Israelite. True to God, true to his statutes, true to his laws. He's really kind of towed the line, if you will. Uh, didn't eat the king's precious food. He's tried to follow God's... Uh, direction and whatnot he he interpreted some dreams when his life was at risk and then he has his own dream no kings involved and he hears that you know this king that progression of babylonian kings that really have been a pain for him they're going to be gone and a mead's going to take over and here he finds himself in the first year of god following through on his promise you can imagine what that does to daniel's confidence level in god you, you've been at a place where, where God came through, where, where it actually happened. The thing that you thought was supposed to happen, that you were waiting for it to happen, that you were, gosh, when is this going to happen? And how long must I wait? Oh, long, how long, oh Lord, right? Isaiah would say it that way. And then it finally happens. Maybe you were nervous about it. Maybe you were excited about it. Maybe you were totally confused about it. But the, the kind of expected God thing finally happens. And, and what happens to your mind? What, what happens to your confidence level in God? You kind of go, oh, yeah. Maybe there's more to this. That's right. He is who he says he is. Your confidence level goes way up. Right? Some, some of you have had kids. Maybe it was a while ago. Maybe not. I, I tell you what, uh, as as the husband, the whole kid process is very disconcerting. It, it was like probably the most profound time where I realized I have zero influence. I can't help. I I can't I can't do it for her. On top of that, I have to wait like a really long time. There's a lot of pain involved that I don't feel. I can't relieve. And, and the outcome, I'm not even a doctor. I'm not a midwife. I'm not a nerve, press, nerve, I'm not a nerve practitioner. Uh, I, can't, I can't even help. You've got to kind of just help less watching the process and just hoping that it comes out. And, and the question is kind of like, uh, God, is this? How's this going to go? I, I really want it to go well, right? When it's, oh, you know, a few hours later, when it's starting to make a mess and everything's good and you, you know, you're finally going home, there's kind of that moment of, I, I have to redefine a little bit who God is. Because 
Look at what just happened. I think Daniel's having a little bit of that. And, and when that happens, when you start to rethink, redefine, get excited, have more confidence in who God is, it, it starts you thinking, well, wait, are there more questions I could ask, should ask, would like to ask? Is it, I, I've had that experience a bunch of times. Daniel has that experience. He finds himself, first year, Darius, king of the Medes, and he starts asking some questions. Watch what he does. Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived where? Perceived in the books. The number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Daniel, Daniel's in a much worse place than you are. Can, can we just concede that he's not in his hometown not even his home country in fact if he did go back there it would be desolate destroyed no temple no walls no city probably no semblance of civilization anybody who was in anybody pretty much taken away as slaves and then what's left is left to fend for themselves in a destroyed country he's not even getting to speak the same language anymore they're choosing his clothes for him and they're trying to force him to eat other things they're trying to change his name even so in the midst of this profound sense of, oh, God comes through, and here's this Mede king, there's also his heart not feeling it at all. Yeah, God comes through sometimes. I'm still in Babylon, which they're probably going to change the name now because we're not Babylonian anymore. But we've been gone for a long time. What about that promise, God? In fact, I think there was something written about it. Let me see what God has to say in the books. We have a question. You're not sure. Where do you look? Daniel turns to the books, right? We wouldn't say the books anymore, right? We would say scripture maybe or God's word. Love that that's where he turns. But then he he says, wait a minute. Jerry said 70 years. By the way, Jeremiah, you need to start thinking like you know these guys, like you like these guys, that you want to be around. You're going to spend a lot of time with these guys. I read there's a banquet table. We're all going to eat, sit around. It's much faster to say, Jerry, pass the potatoes, than, hey, Jeremiah. Right? Just get the nicknames down, and it's okay. You want to become familiar with God and his people because you want to become familiar with how he thinks, acts, what he talks about. And, and although I joke, I really do think if we started to think about Scripture and God on modern day terms in our own language, it could really help us hit the ground running and, and have a, a godly biblical value on the street. Right? So his mama called him Jeremiah, I'm going to call him Jerry. <laughs> Daniel says, Jeremiah prophesied 70 years. Now, this, this is absolutely brilliant because this almost never happens. Okay, a lot of background here. We got to catch up. Okay, you see, Jeremiah has never seen the promised land. He's a prophet who spent his, the entire time of his prophetic prophecy in a foreign country. 
He doesn't get to be at the temple. He doesn't get to be anywhere. And, and the reason he's there is because Israel has turned from God so often that God finally says, look, you have decided you don't want me. I will respect your decision. Meet the Babylonians. They turn from God. God gives them over to the Babylonians. They're gone. And Jeremiah in his prophecy says, yes, we've made mistakes. And yes, we're wrong. And yes, God's angry. But don't worry. It'll be over in 70 years. Fast forward about how many years do you think? Good guess. Daniel's now in conflict. Wait a minute. It's been about 70 years, I think. God, what's going on? You kept the Mede prophecy. How about the us being freed prophecy? I love this because in scripture, uh, most prophecies, you, you almost never get a specific number. Almost never, right? A virgin shall give birth to a child. and Oh, that's great. When's it going to happen? <laughs> Nothing. I didn't tell you anything. Here we get exactly 70 years. Daniel's excited. And then at the same time, he's a little bit ticked off, right? Okay, and you're going to be bugged too for him. Ready? When does the 70 years start? Who knows? I got 70 years, but in true biblical fashion, even though we gave you a specific number, we're going to hold on to our ambiguity because it's supposed to be a prophecy and you're not supposed to know until after it happens. So I'm going to tell you 70 years, but I won't tell you when it starts so you won't know when it ends. Hence Daniel's conflict. God, what is going on? Part of me wants to get excited about you, Mede king, Babylon overthrown, Part of me is frustrated with you. You promised an answer. You promised a time frame. And so based on some of those start dates, potential start dates, we're beyond 70 years. Dude, you're late. No, I think that's pretty gutsy of Daniel to tell God he might be late. Right? That's like the opening to the Lord of the Rings. They tell Gandalf, Gandalf, you're late. I'm not late. Wizards are never late. They arrive exactly when they intended to. Brilliant theology written by a Christian. Right? You got to hold on to this stuff when you get a chance. Okay? When you find it. So, uh, Daniel perceives in the books what's going on with these 70 years. In his frustration, in the disconnect between his mind and his heart, verse 3. Then I turn my face to the Lord. Seeking him by prayer. Look at your outline at the top there. What's the verse I gave you? Always, I, almost always I give you a verse, right? Verse 3. In the midst of his conflict, I need you to see this because we're not really going to get to it too much at the end when we get to the fill-ins, but I want you to miss it. In the midst of his conflict, where does he turn? He turns to the books. He turns to prayer. Brilliant. When you're frustrated, when you're anxious when you're seeking answers when you want understanding where do you turn look higher on the outline below daniel 9 it says missing the turn i don't know where you turn when you're frustrated seeking answers want the future whatever i don't know where you turn i hope you don't miss the turn turn to the scripture turn to prayer First two things we hear Daniel does, right? Brilliant. Let's watch and see how it goes. And how does he pray? I prayed, 
no, sorry, excuse me. Can we go back to the beginning of three? Thank you. Then I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made request. I Wait, confess? Isn't that wrong? Shouldn't, shouldn't that read, and I made request? You, you threw over the Babylonians. We have our Mede king, but it's been, we think, 70 years. Here's what I want, God. I want the 70 years over. I want you to tell me when the 70 years is going to be. One of the two, I, I got some requests for you. And, and that's not how it reads. If I wrote it, if I prayed it, and someone else wrote about what I prayed, it would read, and Scott made request. Scott was fed up. Scott wanted answers. Dan doesn't do that. My default is, God, uh, where's your half of this deal? Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel goes straight to prayer and the books, and, and his first response is, my half fell short, God. He looks at his own half. At, for me... I'm, I'm confused. It, it feels backward. This is Daniel who got all the interpretations right, who didn't eat the king's food. He's, he's towed the line uh, for God and in the midst of this secular environment like, like a champion. In fact, we have all these great things we think about Daniel because he was so good. And yet he says, we should have been better. I should have been better. It's very interesting to me that he opens with confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God. He, he not only doesn't question God's half, what does he say about God's half of the deal? He says, God, you're awesome. You're great. And then watch, watch who keeps covenant. His, my question would be, should be, are you keeping covenant? It looks like you're late and you, you're a day late and you're a dollar short. Daniel doesn't do that. He says, God, I know my head and my heart are at two different places. I'm in conflict with myself, but I will not question whether you keep covenant. You are the God who keeps covenant. I love that. Daniel wants answers. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, right? And, and here's the thing. And you're this way. I think, well... I won't indict you fully. I'm this way. I I want answers. I want specific answers, right? You know what Daniel wants? Daniel wants a specific end date for 70 years. You're, well, how often, how many times have you wanted a specific end date? Right? When is this thing going to end? When are we going to get through this? When will this change? When will promotion come? When will Scott stop talking? Right? All of those things happen. They happen to you on a regular basis. And, and here's my problem. Like, you know that phrase, grumpy old men? I used to resent it. Like, grump- I understand it now. <laughs> I have become grumpy old man. Why? Because I want specific end dates to certain things and I can never find them. And, and they happen a lot of times by surprise 
And I get frustrated because I want specific end dates. You know, you know, when I really, really know a specific end date, it is glorious. You know what 1201 on Friday of Camp Rock is? 1201 on Friday. Camp is over. And camp was great and it was wonderful, but I need a nap. Right? I need a break. I probably need a burrito with some kind of spicy sauce on it. Right? I end date, move on, it'll be great next year. Right now, I need an end date, and I got it. Awesome. Daniel wants that. We want that a lot of times. And we can't get it. And so we get frustrated. He comes to God, and he says, I know you keep covenant, although I didn't always know how. You have steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Wait a minute. Steadfast love... For those who love him and keep his... I thought it was unconditional love. Does anybody see a condition in there? I I went to public school. I had like public English teachers. They, they taught me about conditional statements. Right? Those who love him and keep his commandments keeps covenant with those who are steadfast in loving him and keeping his commandments. I thought he loved us unconditionally. Well, he does. But it seems like right here there are some conditions he expects when he loves us. Hmm. Well, that can't be true. I mean, God's unconditionally loving us all the time. Let's look at the books as Daniel did. Wait, why is Israel in trouble again? Oh yeah, they were not steadfast. They did not love him and they did not keep his commandments and now they are not happy. I wonder if there's a correlation. People come to my office and it's not going well. What's the first question? Where's the Lord? Where are you in the Lord? Right? Daniel's Daniel's got a conditional statement in his belief. If he turns toward God, God turns toward him. If he and his nation turn away from God, God turns away from them. Is there room in your theology for Daniel's ideas? You see, I'm... I'm a little tired of the the happy, good, all the time God. It wraps everything in a bow and sometimes you get a kitten with it. I've never lived in that world. Life is hard and then you die. No, that's a horrible phrase. And I've heard it many of times. But it makes more sense to me then, well, God loves you unconditionally all the time. And I just, I don't know that I've experienced that all the time. I've experienced great times and not so great times. Not so great happens. And how do we make sense of that? Daniel makes very easy, quick, simple sense of it. God kind of makes that stuff happen sometimes. 
You want out of it? Love him. Keep his commandments. Verse 5, look what he says. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside. What's the title again? Missing the turn? Right? Took the wrong turn. Turning aside. You're going to see that word a bunch of times. I'm going to point it out. uh, Half to be annoying, half to make sure you get it. Uh, Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, which is a very true statement. Only one prophet ever listened to. His name was Jonah. And who listened to him? Not Israel. He went to the Ninevites. One prophet, all of Old Testament history, got listened to. Not even Jesus. They didn't listen to him either. The ultimate prophet. Daniel knows the score. Right? Who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes, and our fathers, to all the people of the land, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. To us belongs... Right, we're we're borrowing the, the continuation of the verb to belong. To us belongs open shame. He's gonna say it again here in a little minute. At, at, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O oh Lord, belongs, like, like I said, there's that verb again. To us belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law, and turned aside, there's our verb again, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. God, you called it. You said this would happen. You said we were on the wrong course. You told us where this course ended, and and we still didn't listen. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words, fulfilled his prophecy, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us great calamity. Do you realize what that just said? What does Daniel believe about where calamity comes from? Jane, right? Calamity Jane? No? Where does calamity come from? Did we just say that at church? I thought God was all loving all the time, unconditioned. A jealous God, does he does he deal out calamity? We've got a verse. If you have any questions, ask Rich. By bringing upon us great calamity, not letting calamity come upon us, not passively allowing bad to happen. I'm so sick of that. Well, God doesn't cause evil, just allows it to happen. Really? Then define evil for me, okay? Because here's evil for me, absence of God. By just not being there, I think I'm experiencing evil. And I I would, do you want to call your God passive? A spectator? He bought tickets to the show? No, he steps on the field. He's got the nicest cleats. Actually, probably the worst cleats. And he still scores on you. Or for you. Depending on how you want to look at it. Right? Scores on you. That's kind of negative. Maybe that speaks to my own demeanor. Right? 
God's scoring against me? Rather, No, he scores with us, for us, right? He's on our team. You got to correct me when you get the chance, okay? Goodness. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what, like what has been done against Jerusalem. I think that's true to this day. <laughs> the worst stuff has happened to Jerusalem and come to the end. Who brought it to him? Guys, I got to redefine the devil, Satan, the sin, demons, that whole thing. Because, and I, I think this is biblically true. I think we're starting to see it and we've heard it right here. The worst stuff that could happen to you might come from God himself. Why? Because no one can act without God He's in control of all things. Good and bad. But he's good. And he's loving. That's what we need. I need a God that's all loving. And I need a God who's in control of the bad stuff. Because he can stop it. Withhold it. Make it cease. Or give me a specific end date. Love that. The ramifications of that are awesome. Because no matter where you are, God can step in. It might actually be part of his plan. And then you get to start asking, well, what's he doing then? Which I believe is Daniel's question. God, what are you doing? Nothing like this has happened happened against Jerusalem. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet... We have not entered the favor of, entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. He, he keeps ready the calamity. Uh, I've got some calamity here. To keep it nice and warm, Ziploc bag. So it's ready when I need it. What? I have a God who has calamity ready and keeps it in the ready condition? Wow. I sure hope he uses it somewhere else. Explain me that equation, God. How do I get you to use that elsewhere? But this is how Daniel views it kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice. You see the underlying theme of obedience? And now, O Lord, our God, verse 15, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn. There we go again. Daniel's idea, when we turn, he turns. Let your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. God, we are the punchline now. Your people, your city, your nation, your country has become the punchline to the joke. God, do something. 
Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. The sanctuary doesn't really even exist at this point. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And then watch this prayer. This is a great prayer for you to write down, copy, stick it on your dash, your refrigerator, if anybody does that anymore, put it on your desk, put it somewhere. In a book that you're reading, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Here's a little challenge for you. Find the request in that prayer. What does he ask for? It's it's hard to find. There's not a specific question. Does he say, hey, end the 70 years? Doesn't ask for that. You say overthrow the power? No, doesn't ask for that. Where's the request in the prayer? I think it's a great prayer to write down and copy and, and see and use from time to time because I think it will change your perspective on prayer a little bit. Have you try something new. Verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, vision last chapter, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. The idea is like a word comes out from the Lord. And I have come to tell it to you. For you are what? Greatly loved. You're loved and there's an answer. Here's the problem. He's not going to get the answer he wants. He's going to get an answer. But I think the greatest thing that comes out of this is, hey, God's listening and answering. And he's a God that loves you. Now get ready for the answer. Because it's different than what you want. We got to get used to that. More important than the answer is who's answering and do they love us? That's pretty cool. Great. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Seventy weeks? I thought it was 70 years. What's going on here? Nobody knows. (laughs) Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Steve, take us back one slide because I want to see the beginning of that verse. Seventy weeks are, decri- uh, are decreed 
Um, let me see. We're going to bring a finish to the transgression. Well, that sounds like maybe it's the answer to Jeremiah's uh, prophecy about 70 years. How are these tied together? I'm not sure. Have you heard about any time at your um, existence as a Christian in your travels and, and wanderings about the end of sin? Did, have you heard about the end of sin? When when does that happen? Can, any guesses? Uh, it's, it's, it's backlit, I think, right now. Oh, okay, because that's... That's what I think of when I think the end of sin. I think of the cross. But but this is a prophecy you see about either 70 weeks or 70 years. So anybody else confused with me? Okay, I'm going to help you. This, this is one of the hardest weeks for me. I was complaining to Jan all week. We're going through this, right? How about the atonement? When, you heard about atonement? You ever heard that big theological phrase? Generally, atonement is, is a is a... Theological phrase used in reference to, again, I think it's backlit. Cross. Christ atoned for our sins, atoned for many other things. Many things accomplished in the atonement, right? Um, Which, by the way, this whole part of the whole sermon, I forgot first hour. Come to second service. Right? We, we covered it at the end, because I remembered at the end, but during the thing I missed it, right? Uh, what about everlasting righteousness? Word everlasting, what's that usually tied to? Is that tied to the overthrow of a king? Or does everlasting usually refer to God? Okay. Are, are you catching the theme? Like I keep I'm making references to the cross a couple times here and everlasting. Seal both vision and prophet. What, what's like the fulfillment of all visions and all prophecy? Uh, maybe Christ and what happened in his life and in his death and his resurrection and his ascension. But I, I thought this was about the captivity of uh, Israel in Babylon. Well, which one is it? 70 years? 70 weeks? Or as some would suggest, 70 weeks of 70 years. Each week represents 70 years. This isn't even close to over. This is going to go on for 490 years. Anybody lost? You know, there's great arguments for the 70 years to have been fulfilled. There's great arguments for 490 years uh, what happens when about 490 to 500 years, depending on your start date, who do you think shows up on the scene? Jesus. You're so great. Let's fall. Okay, go uh, next slide there. Thanks. Uh, now, Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, hmm, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it should be built again with squares and moat and build, uh, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. You heard a story in the Bible about an anointed one being cut off? Christ on the cross, maybe, right? And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen.
Okay, I want you to sit in the office for a week with Jan and figure it out. Okay? There's a couple different directions this could go. Like I said, there's an argument for uh, Antiochus being the fulfillment of, of a 70-year period kind of thing in that you know desolate time in the middle of that. Or if it's 490 years, there's an argument for this all being a, a microcosm of what's going to happen with Christ. Which one do you think it is? Thank you. Could it be that God is telling them a message about what's going to happen now and a message about the big everlasting at the same time? Brilliant. Double meaning. Right? And yet when exactly and what names and does Daniel get his answers? Not really. We haven't totally figured it out today. We got a whole bunch more history and ways to research it and the whole thing and we still... Well, here's what we do know. We know who's given the message. And we know that he loves us. Unconditionally, with conditions. Amen? Let's look at this. I, I think uh, there's this idea of turning throughout um, this chapter <coughs> in the way that Daniel sees it. And I, and I want us to look and see uh, the way that Daniel <coughs> understands it. See, we put this idea of missing the turn, and, and Israel obviously missed the turn over and over again, and God turns against them. I mean, He keeps calamity, right? Warm, ready. Uh, and so what is the turn? And I think Daniel gets it right. Israel gets it wrong, but I think Daniel gets it right, and he understands what the turn is. You've been, you've been driving, you missed the turn? I was on the way to my mom's house. And I'm on the freeway, I hadn't been there too many times, and I missed the turn. The next exit was like six minutes. Which means i got to drive six minutes the wrong direction to drive six minutes back the right direction. And that's just to get off the freeway. You know, life can feel that way when we miss the turn. Daniel knows uh, that the turn is away from ourselves. Watch, watch what he says in uh, verse 13. He, he says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, comma, how? Turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Daniel turns away from himself. His first prayer is one of confession, and he turns to the books. He turns away from his own understanding, his own experience, even his own questions, and, and does not come to God with questions, does not come to God with requests, comes to God with, God, help me turn for myself. You've got to make sure you catch that turn. It's the turn Israel missed. Then, then the turn is also in Daniel's mind, the turn is toward God. And that's verse 3, it's, that's why it's at the top of your outline. Love how it says that. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, comma, seeking, seeking what? Seeking stuff, seeking answers, seeking details. What? It's right there. It's cheating. You know, I didn't realize this first hour I was like acting all, if it was all mysterious, what's the word that comes after seeking? They don't have it. They're not going to look at the top of their alley. The whole time it's up there. Turn my face to the Lord, seeking what? Him. Him. 
Seeking him. Man, I want to capitalize that. Not capitalize on that. But shouldn't the H be capital? You know, they're doing this thing in modern English and modern, you know, autocorrect and Siri and all that stuff where we don't capitalize God's stuff anymore. Uh, I should say they don't capitalize the stuff anymore. And I'm looking at this stuff going, what? Wait, what's going on here? Forgot that one for a service too. Capitalize him so that you can capitalize on him. Right? But it's this idea that we seek him over stuff. We have not entreated the Lord. You know, verse 13 that I gave you as the, the reference for why we turn away from ourselves. The phrase before that is we have not entreated the Lord. Sought after just Him. How, what if you sought Him before your answers? It's so backwards for our culture. No, I want an answer. I want to go through the drive-thru. I want to pay my three whatever and have my thing and get it over. What's taking so long? I want to talk to a manager. (laughs) Why do you want to talk to the manager? So you get to have the manager's attention or so you can have what you want? I don't want what I want anymore. I just want to talk to the manager. Why? So I can walk out and say, I got to talk to the manager. I met the manager. Nobody ever thinks that way. Guys, you get to talk to the manager. Daniel thought that was the most important thing. Oh, yeah, he can redo my coffee for me. But that's not as important as I got to talk to the manager. Have, we made, have I made enough of a joke about that yet? Right? You see, our turn is away from ourselves and it's toward God. It's, our turn is not for request, but for Him. Oh, look at the H. Mm. We, we turn towards God, n- not just to get the equation, the fire insurance. No, we turn toward Him to get Him. Let's just, l- let's let the answers be what they be. What about that? You, you've heard of... Um, I'm a huge proponent of specific prayers. When you ask God, ask God with detail, ask him with specificity, tell him exactly how you feel, tell him exactly what you're thinking, and maybe use harsh language if it helps you. Because you want to make sure he gets the full gist of what's going on in you. I'm all for that. It's very green language. Yeah. We talk about green and red language here a little bit, right? We have John Tompkins in our own midst. But it's the idea of, is my communication clear or is it ambiguous and hard to follow and open to many possibilities? That's a much harder conversation because it's hard to interpret. I'm all for green language with God being very clear, very specific. What about, though, what if you approach God with red language? God, open canvas. Just show up. And I'll see what you do. 
and I'll go with it. You know, that prayer I told you to, that you should maybe write down and copy, right? I think it was verse 19. Oh God, hear. Oh God, forgive. Oh God, right? Do, do you remember what one of them was? You know what he says to God? Oh God, pay attention. Do you realize what he just said? You know, I was joking. You know, call Jeremiah Jerry. You know, put it in modern day language. You know, he says to God, hey, are you paying attention? How bold is that for him to ask that? And how open-ended, how red of language. What are you doing? I'm not a proponent of red language with humans. Use green language. Be clear. But with God, who has zero problems with interpreting, what if you were open-ended and ambiguous because you wanted him as a much higher priority than the specificity of whatever he came up with? You might not even be Western culture anymore. We might have to start praying for you right away because it will, it will mess you up. Now, here's the question. Do we pray for specifics like green language or do we pray for ambiguous, open-ended, God, I just want you, red language, which one do we do? Why not? It's a bigger experience, experiment and it's more fun. I see what he does. Daniel's got specifics. He's got 70 years. He gets this interpretation. And by the end of it, all he really has is he has God talking to him. And he's loved. And now he knows where to turn. But where's the road lead? Who cares? Did you check my passenger? Who I'm going on the trip with? More important than where the trip goes. I think that's what we're meant to meant to understand. I, I hope, I trust that that will, will cause you to think a little more about the need for understanding, the need for answers, the need for prophecy or prediction of what future looks like or any of that and, and pushes you towards the whole needing of God over needing of specifics. You see, I wrote on there, missing the turn. There's the turn toward God, but more valuable is the turn of God toward us. I think that's what Daniel would call the turn you do not want to miss. Is when God comes and turns towards you and starts getting involved because you've been obedient, faithful, seeking Him, entreating Him, whatever you want to call it, turning your face towards Him. But, but there was a little thing, and I'll make sure I catch this. Daniel's been doing pretty much the right thing all along. He's willing even to confess probably the few things that he's done wrong and the massive things that his country has done wrong, his people have done wrong. But in his attempts to follow and follow and follow, Gabriel shows up. Remember last chapter? And he keeps doing it, and Gabriel shows up again. Danny got to see angels at least twice. It's progressing in the positive. Is God turning towards him? In some pretty cool ways. 
That's what it's meant to be like. It's meant to be unconditional love. Because you're following the conditions. Amen? Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for who Daniel is. Thank you, Lord, that he's a real guy with real questions and real emotions. Thank you, Lord, that we can relate to his frustration, his thinking, his logic, his need of conversation with you. And I thank you, Lord, that you come through on all levels and you come through in the best ways, a little different than probably what he wanted, for sure what I would want, but best for us. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us. How do we turn toward you rather than ourselves and our things and our fears? And show us how to be excited about the open-ended. Father, turn us from ourselves. Turn us oh, toward you. And then, Lord, turn us from our requests that we might experience you first. If you're here today, the prophecy was for the time then and it was for the future of what Christ did. And maybe you're here today and you need both of those two. You need like today answers. And you need to feel Christ and what he's done for you. But you also need today answers. You need both. If that's you, I would love to pray with you. If you want to come up here after service, I'll be up here. I'd love to take a minute and pray for you. But maybe you're in the other boat. Maybe you're in the boat where you never turn towards God. And you know today you need to do it. You, you can ask God anyway. Put it in your own words. You don't need me. But if you wanted help, if you wanted a suggestion, you could say this. God, today I decide to turn towards you. I ask for you to turn towards me and I want you to be my God from this day forward. I accept your son, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, my forgiveness of sin. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn towards each other from this day forward. If that's your prayer, we want to help you too. Come up and see us after service. Father, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray, Lord, that you would bless it. Use it to help us be a church that turns towards you and helps others do the same. And I pray, Lord, for those who are guests or visiting, that they feel no obligation to give, but recognize what we do as a family. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.